Hello, and welcome to episode one of the Tech Buzz News podcast, where we interview founders, investors, individual contributors, and everyone else in the Utah tech and startup scene. I'm your host, Austin Craig, and in this episode, we sat down with Johnny Hanna, CEO of Homey, to talk about the real estate industry in Utah, the founding of Homey, mental fitness at work, and the future of home ownership. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. Johnny, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, I wanted to discuss a bit about Homie's founding and your entrepreneurial journey. This is not your first rodeo. Um, tell me a bit about your own background. Was entrepreneurship part of your upbringing? Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever considered myself an entrepreneur. I think things have just kind of happened along the way. Um, I definitely had to find lunch money and come up with little business ideas. Back in the day, I, I would uh, buy and sell baseball cards and uh, make enough to, to pay for lunch here and there. So um, I, I would say you know that, that may be the beginnings of an entrepreneurial journey, but I believe naturally we're all creators. We all wanna build, we all wanna keep growing and learning, and, and I feel like that's, that's just part of who I am. Where are you from? I grew up in Pueblo, Colorado, and my dad moved me to Billings, Montana when I was six. My parents split. So I moved back to Colorado and then just visited my dad every summer in Montana. So I claim both uh, Colorado and Montana. And you went to university? I went to BYU-Idaho, Ricks College initially. And I was the last graduating class of Ricks College and the first graduating class of BYU-Idaho. What were you studying? Um, I, I didn't have really a clue what I wanted to do. Initially, it was uh, agriculture. Um, my family comes from a, a big farming ranching community. And my sister said I could get accepted easier if I would have that as my degree. I, I, I wasn't a great student in high school, so I wasn't uh, quite sure I would even get accepted. But yeah, started out with agriculture, ended up cha changing to criminal justice. Um, just saw a lot of movies, thought being an FBI you know, agent would be pretty cool. But um, switched to general business when I just still wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. So I ended, ended up graduating in general business. We're about two minutes into this and you're already surprising me quite a lot. You didn't consider yourself an entrepreneur and you studied criminal justice. Now you're in the technology space uh, disrupting residential real estate. This is not your first play at technology and real estate. Tell me about your prior venture. Where did you go after university? Well, I think the criminal justice play is that there's some criminal activity going on within the real estate industry that needs to be changed. So I think that's uh, that, that's part of why uh, we started Homey. But yeah, going back a little bit, as soon as I graduated at BYU-Idaho, my senior year, my project was uh, a business plan competition uh, that BYU was putting on. And one of my friends was down here and it was for property management software. And there was a lot of DOS-based uh, systems out there that manage these big portfolios of apartment communities, of commercial properties, um, strip malls, and so we thought we could build a web-based platform. So we did a lot of research and found out that these companies were moving from DOS-based to Windows-based Windows instead of going to web-based. So we knew that if we jumped into a web-based platform, we could have a you know kind of a first mover advantage. And so we wrote a business plan competition. We won the BYU uh, event there and it won about $50,000. So that helped give us some cash to start the business. We then entered um, the University of Utah's business plan competition. We entered Fortune Magazine out of New York. They had their first ever MBA showdown is what they called it. And we ended up winning that. And that was, that was for MBAs all around the nation. And 
um, because we won BYU's business plan and beat the MBAs, they allowed us to go ahead and enter into that national competition. And we landed on the cover of Fortune Small Business Magazine. And it, it just kind of continued from there. So we, we really funded the company. And uh, Trot is what it's called now. It used to be called Property Solutions. And we just grew it off of business plan earnings. So that was it was kind of fun. A different a different route for sure, not the venture-based route that we're doing now with venture capital. When you launched Property Solutions now in Trotta, you, you were there for how long? 12 years. 12 years. Um, certainly that must have informed what you're doing now. Uh, we don't need to go into Entrada's story. That's a whole other company and I want to hear more about Homie. But if you could, share with us a few of the lessons, maybe the primary lessons you took away from your 12 years working at Entrada, previously Property Solutions. Well, what we did at Entrada was we sold apartment management software. And a big part of that was we had a resident portal for renters to pay rent online. And when they were there, um, we ended up adding more products. They could buy a renter's insurance. They could uh, you know, buy utility management services. They could buy uh, LifeLock, uh, other tools. We just ended up creating a little store online. And really what, what I learned from that is that we could use that resident portal is a loss leader type of product to then sell an array of products. So we basically set up a little store, an online shop inside of every apartment community. So it was, it was real estate software is what we built. And I recognize these renters are eventually going to move into homes. And so one of my co-founders approached me with this idea for Homie. And I had bought and sold several homes before. And I had the last one that I had sold, it just wasn't selling at all. It was right during the crash in 08. And my realtor had listed it on the MLS, like all realtors do. And I asked, well, what else are you doing? And he said, well, it's, it's listed on every website. Once you list it on the MLS, it kind of lists it everywhere else. But with no traffic, I just thought, okay, I have these, these websites at, at Entrada. So I built a website for my townhome and I did a pay-per-click to get traffic to my home and I found my own buyers. But the contract I had signed with my realtor was to pay the full 6% commission. So I ended up listing my property, finding the buyers, and then I ended up paying uh, you know, a pretty penny at close. So when my co-founder, Mike Peregrina, approached me with this idea, he, he shared his frustrations and I immediately went to that one and several others that I had had. And not that I had uh, poor experiences with realtors, it's just, it, it wasn't worth the cost. And so that was, that was really the main focus. And seeing all the renters that I had worked with at Entrada, knowing that they needed to move into apartments, I, I recognized that home ownership is where Americans grow their worth, their net worth. And I also recognized that your monthly payment um, was cheaper than rent. It was actually more affordable to buy than to rent. So there were all of these benefits. And during the crash as well, I thought, you know, Mike Peregrina shared his story with me where he, he lost all of his rental properties during the crash. And he was paying all these fees to all these professionals. And, and that's, that's one of the problems. When you buy a home, your home has to appreciate, you know, six to 10% just for you to break even if you wanted to turn around and sell it. And we thought, well, that, that helps create these bubbles. You know, if we can eliminate a lot of those fees, people, people could buy and sell uh, more frequently and, and, and have those assets be more liquid. 
So that's that, that was uh, one of the focuses. And then going back to that little resident portal example I was sharing, we knew that if, if we set up an online store, we could sell a lot of other products. Well, if we helped people buy and sell homes with our realtors, we could also become a mortgage company, a title company. We could sell renter's insurance or homeowner's insurance, just like I sold renter's insurance. So it was a, an opportunity to open up and, and have a whole platform of, of services. So that, that's kind of the, the genesis of our founding story and, and how, it, how it made sense from a, a business model standpoint. So, so right from your founding, you had it in mind that this was going to be a marketplace for multiple different services to streamline the entire experience. Uh, that sounds pretty much like Homie's business model today. Has it changed? Has it evolved at all? Yeah, there's been a lot of changes, a lot of evolution, but the original thesis is, is intact. Um, initially, we weren't planning on being a real estate brokerage and having realtors. Initially, we just wanted to be a pure tech company, advertising properties online with the exemption you don't need to be a licensed agent to advertise, and the exemption of having lawyers handle the transactions. So a lot of our, our team are lawyers currently, um, but we've shifted to where we have um, you know, every one of our clients gets a dedicated realtor now. Yeah, you guys just announced you're going to hire a thousand more? A thousand new realtors this year. So yeah, big goal. And uh, we've already doubled the size of our team just in the last couple months. So wow. we're, we're on track. Tell me about that decision. Why a thousand more real estate agents to join the team? I, I think it added up to 900, you know, the upper 900s. And we just said, let's just make it an even thousand. You know, <laughs> good, good goal, good stretch goal for us. Uh, you've seen a lot of growth. How much of that has been here in Utah? How much of that has been elsewhere? Utah has been our, our primary market. We've been here for a little over five years. We're now the largest broker in the state. We have about seven and a half percent market share and growing. And it's been, it's been amazing. We've been really well received among a lot of tech companies as well have had us out to do lunch and learns and educate employees on on just the process since none of us learned how to buy or sell a home in high school or college. Um, so Utah has grown and it's it's historically represented a large portion of our revenue. Um, we launched Phoenix a couple years ago. We launched Vegas last year right at the onset of COVID. Um, we just opened up Boise and Denver. So those are two new markets for us. And what we're seeing from all of these new markets, including Arizona, is they're, they're having a much bigger contribution to our overall uh, revenue uh, as a business and, and impact on, on what we're doing. So we're, we're planning on opening up Texas here in a few months, which is going to be huge for us as a company, and we, we hope to go nationwide pretty soon. Five years in, what, what has happened with Homey that you didn't anticipate? I think our dreams are always bigger than what uh, actually happens. I think five years in, we plan to be nationwide. And so, you know, thinking we're in five markets and we want to now go to Texas, have a sixth state open. Um, you know, I would have loved to have, you know, had world domination by this point. But yeah, the backlash, I would say, like we knew that we knew that this industry would be hard to disrupt. We knew that it would be hard to educate consumers. Um, but I don't think we realized how hard it would be, and um, and and how many how many uh, people are supported by this industry in terms of all of the lobbyists and the donations that go to all of, all of the politicians. Like 
the rules that are in place make it extremely difficult to disrupt this industry. And, and I think that's, that's one of the biggest challenges that I think we've become aware of. You even had some pretty public opposition. There were anti-homie billboards on I-15 not that long ago. Yeah, just about every billboard we've put up, there's been an, uh, a competitor, uh, one right next to ours. And, and not necessarily, you know, that, that's, that actually has drawn more attention <laughs> to us. It's been a good thing. So that hasn't been part of the uh, unexpected backlash. Just keep it up, haters. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's beneficial for us. Um, so five years in, you didn't anticipate the amount of resistance. Can you tell us more about that? It sounds like there are a lot of structures in place to make sure that real estate transactions continue just as they always have been. Uh, what specific obstacles have you encountered? I think the easiest one to explain is when you go to buy a home, realtors have forever been able and allowed, legally allowed to tell people it's free to hire them to help you buy a home. When you go to sell a home, they tell you it's 6%. But when you buy a home, they say, hire me, it's free. The seller pays the fees. And up until just a few months ago, that was legal. But the, the Department of Justice recently sued the National Association of Realtors for, for that particular issue. And uh, the settlement hasn't completely uh, finished or gone, gone public, but that's one of the things that's now going to be illegal for people to say that it's free. And because they've said it's free, people just go and hire a realtor to help buy a home. The problem with this is when they take you to buy homes, if one of the homes isn't willing to pay close to the full 3% commission, they'll go to another home that will pay them more. And for sale by owner, this is one of the reasons why for sale by owner doesn't work, is because the, the sellers don't wanna pay commissions. And so if you go and hire a realtor that says it's free, they're gonna to wanna to go to this for sale by owner and, and, and say, hey, will you pay me 3% commission? Because I have a buyer that wants to see your home. And they have to have a negotiation. And a lot of times that for sale by owner says no. Well, the realtor has a fiduciary duty to show you the home. And there's, there's this misaligned incentive that's created when they're forcing somebody else to pay the commission. It's things like that that are just unnerving that hurt consumers. Like the cost of, home, of buying a home, it's inflated because of these hidden fees. But things are changing. As I mentioned, the Department of Justice just came out with that lawsuit. We haven't seen the, the ramifications just yet, but we will soon. And that's going to benefit consumers everywhere. So do you think this new law is gonna really change everything? I don't, I don't. That's what's frustrating. We don't think the Department of Justice will go far enough. We've been working with them, providing all the evidence uh, that they've been using against our own association that we pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to a year. So our, in, our industry is not big fans of us and what we're doing. Um, Do they you like a traitor or something? Well, yeah, they, well, we're threatening their... You're dismantling the industry. Right. Yeah, I mean, if you th the, asso the association makes money off of every realtor. And, and so they give three weeks worth of school, you can become a realtor and start paying them dues. And most likely you're not gonna sell any homes. And so they just try to keep getting more and more realtors to continue to pay them dues. Our agents versus the traditional agent that does three deals a year, our agents do 130 deals a year. Three versus 130. So just do the math. We just eliminated all of those dues to our association. So they hate what we're doing because in reality here in Utah, the 19,000 agents, 
you only need about 400 agents actually to do all the transactions that occur, wow. not 19,000. But they lose 19, you know, well, they they lose what 18,600 people and their dues. Jeez. So it would just rock the industry if we if we were, you know, the market leaders. So you guys are hiring a thousand new real estate agents. Why are people coming to work for you instead of the conventional industry? Is because is it because of it's kind of rigged against the real estate agents as well? It well, it, it's it's just terrible. If you think of nineteen thousand agents only doing three deals each year. Yeah. I mean, in this building right now, there's probably four or five realtors that just do it on the side and hope one of you guys recognize they have a license so that they can make a quick twenty grand off you. And, and they're not bad people. That's just what's being paid, you know? Yeah, if, if I'm being totally honest, I've had kind of a dubious perspective on real estate agents basically my whole life because yeah. most of the time I meet them, it's like, that guy's an actor but does real estate agents sometimes. And it's like, that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence in me. But that, that's most transactions are done by agents who have little to no experience. And so it, that's where this industry, it's just terrible all around. With such entrenched interests in this market, how has Homey overcome that? What's been your greatest strength in plowing through that? I think like any company, our greatest strength is our people and it's taking care of our clients. So we've worked so hard to have a high net promoter score, which is, is the tool that we judge client satisfaction. And so it's, it's just clients using us and then spreading the word and saying, you know what, I used Homey and it was great. And, and that's been, I, I think, what's helped us to overcome all of the hate, you know, and all of the, the lobby groups. And it's, it's been a challenge because at the same time, our competitors will work with their clients. And if they don't win the offer on one of our homes, they'll tell their clients, well, homie's terrible. You know, you lost the home because it was listed by homie. When in reality, in a market like this, there's... 30 offers going on per home and there's 29 people who lose and only one person who wins that home but it's it's such a rough balance but to me that's any business will succeed if they really take care of the client you mentioned the current market and how many offers there are on the table i know we want to talk about homie but i'm curious your perspective on the present market it seems like there's no inventory and every house is inflating in price and they're gone two minutes after they're listed. They're gone before they're even listed in this market. We, we did have a home um, last week. One of my managers told me that it had 90 offers on it. That, that's insane. What that, you know, the, the benefit to our clients selling is that they're getting above ask, they're getting above appraised value, cash offers like there's some crazy things people are doing. They're saying, we don't even care about inspections or appraisals. Like, just take our money and give us your home. You know, it's, it's wild right now. Um, but here in Utah, we're about 65% down in inventory versus the same time last year. We have 65% fewer homes for sale. Is this a function of COVID last year? What's causing this? It's a combination of, of a lot of factors, but the low interest rates right now, they're, they're at historical lows, about 50 year lows, like at 2% right now. So a lot of people are playing Monopoly and just buying up a bunch of homes. And so that's caused low inventory, just people buying rental properties left and right. So recently, you know, we, we've, we have a mortgage company, so we've been uh, paying attention and learning you know, what the, the Fed's going to do. And it looks like interest rates will rise. 
and there are more regulations against those that are trying to buy rental properties. So they're making it a little bit more difficult, I think, hoping to open up that inventory so that there aren't, uh, you know, there isn't such a low supply. So we'll, we'll see, but definitely I think uh, COVID did have an impact. There were a few months last year where just hardly any transactions happened. You know, March and April last year were really rough. Um, but I think COVID also has us all working at home. And so everybody wants, you know, a home office, you know, or they, they want to remodel. There's different things they want to do. So I think people are looking, you know, to stop renting and, and buying a place of their own to where they can fix it up and, and have a place that they, they can call home and call work. So it's, there's a bunch of different dynamics. But here in Utah in particular, the economy's popping, you know, tech companies are just uh, continuing to raise money as you guys continue to to share on on you know with with all of your news um and millennials there are so many millennials here that are buying homes such a high percentage um, but we are seeing this happen nationwide like everywhere has uh, low inventory almost every single state in the nation other than hawaii uh, new york and dc those are kind of the three exceptions if you could go back in time and give a younger you some advice. Let's say you right out, fresh out of Rick's College, now BYUI, and then you, when you're starting Homie, what advice would you give to your younger self? So I, I did an article with you guys early on about mental, mental fitness. So my advice to anybody, especially my younger self, would be to work on my mental fitness. We make, uh, you know, taking care of your hygiene, normal. We, we make, you know, keep keeping uh, physically fit that's normal but mental fitness we think you're weird or there's a stigma around it when in reality like we go into drama all the time we tell ourselves stories we we take offense we get defensive without getting curious with the other individual so there are tools that you can strengthen your mind with of curiosity if somebody comes if you're if you're in a situation you think somebody's coming at you verbally attacking you instead of being a victim that they're coming at you, you can recognize that you're in victim mentally. And you can recognize, okay, something is probably wrong with this individual. Instead of getting defensive and, and being offended with whatever they're saying, you can see they're in pain, they're hurting. And it's a mental shift and it's actually, there's tools that you can use to do that to help you become more present. And man, those tools have helped me personally to get out of drama. Uh, they've helped me to avoid stress, to avoid depression, to avoid so many problems that, that are natural, especially with what's going on in the economy and COVID and everything today. So I feel more grounded, more centered, more skilled than I ever have been because I've been studying these tools. And yeah, all my insecurity, I could have recognized why I was so insecure as a, my younger self, you know, and my insecurities in raising money for my company. I wished I would have understood those better and understood the fear behind it. So these tools have helped me really look deep to be able to uh, progress and, and be a stronger individual. And we've, we've implemented these same teachings among our employees at Homey so that we can validate our clients when they don't win the home. You know, and, and instead of, I don't know if you've seen that YouTube video, but it has a, it's the nail in the head. Have you seen that one? Mm -mm. A husband and wife are talking and she's like, man, I have this pain. 
And he's like, you got a nail in your head. He just wants to solve the problem. And that's naturally what we try to do instead of validating others, saying, yeah, I can see that you're hurt. I can see that you're in pain. And that's the whole thing of the video. Once he finally validates uh, the wife, she then can solve her own problems. So, so many mental fitness tools that are beneficial to everybody. And uh, I think that once we get rid of the stigma and recognize that all of us need to focus on our own mental health, um, we'll, we'll, we'll be more well-rounded and healthier individuals. That kind of um, self-awareness and ability com to communicate, I imagine that was hard won. I imagine that came from experience. Could you share an experience where where that lesson came from? And then how did you find the solution? Yeah, I have, the I have a million experiences that, that have been beneficial and where this has really come from. Um, but yeah, my wife was studying these principles and I always thought we had a great marriage. I, I thought we had, you know, I, I was a great dad, you know, and and I don't think I was bad in either category, but my wife, as she was learning this, uh, she had me, um, she had asked me to go to a parenting class uh, to learn some of these tools. And I did. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to learn to communicate with my kids. And really the parenting class was just a mirror, just holding up a mirror and looking in it. And I'm like, holy crap, I'm super messed up. I have so many things I need to work on. And as I worked on those, I would naturally have a better relationship with my kids. I'd be able to better communicate with them. So as I was learning these principles and seeing the drama, the natural drama in my family where one of my kids would come home and say, dad, you know, so-and-so did this, or they said this, and they were, you know, little victims, you know, running around hurt, you know, offended by other people. And, uh, you know, it just flashed in my head. I'm like, I just heard that in my executive meeting, you know, like so-and-so said this at work and this hurt my feelings. And we're all the same, you know, you know, these kids grow up to be adults, you know, we're now adults, but we have the same drama and drama's everywhere at work. And so as I learned these principles, I learned that we could apply them at work. And then, yeah, like my own examples, I've had insecurities around, I mentioned raising money. I've had insecurities presenting in front of my company at company meetings. Um, same thing about just having board meetings with my investors. All of the stress and, and pain, I recognized I was choosing to take that on. And when I recognized I was choosing that, I recognized I could choose to not do that. And I could choose to be in a place of surrender and, and not control. I tried to control other people's perceptions of me. You know, it, when I spoke at a company meeting, you know, I'm like, I gotta say these things just right. I gotta look this way. And the truth is I can't control anybody's perceptions. And that's just painful and it's unnecessary. And so when I finally just said, hey, I'm gonna be myself, um, that pain went away. You know, that stress went away. Um, raising money, we weren't able to one year. We had, we didn't have growth. We were flat year over year, our revenue. And so no investor wants a company that isn't, doesn't have that hockey stick growth. So it was really hard. And so the stories I started to tell myself, like, I'm bad. I'm a bad CEO. I'm going to cause all these families, uh, you know, heartache because they're not going to be able to pay their bills. Like all these stories I was just starting to tell myself. And then as I was ruminating on that, I thought, okay, you know, like what if, what if I went into a coma? You know, I could, I could skip all of this pain. You know, you start thinking some dark thoughts and, and they're unhealthy, clearly, right? You know, right. and 
So recognizing that, I've been able to separate who I am from what I do. Like I am not the CEO of Homie. I am not an entrepreneur. Like I, I, I know who I am, but that's my profession. And I can work really hard and the company may succeed financially, it may fail. I'm gonna do my best, but ultimately I don't have control whether or not somebody wants to use Homie or not. And so I've really had to work on myself in that, in that specific instance or all of these instances to be more grounded and more whole. And that is mental fitness. Those, those are these workouts that I've been doing, really trying to pay attention to what, what my feelings are telling me about my thoughts. Because it's my thoughts that are causing my feelings. You know, if I'm stressed, if I'm overwhelmed, okay, what am I thinking? And then when I understand what I'm thinking, what am I choosing to take on that I feel is overwhelming? What am I choosing to take on that I feel is stressful? And as I go through the list, then I'm like, okay, I need to boundary myself better. Boundaries are a mental fitness tool. So I can boundary myself and say, you know what, I'm going to say no to these things. I only have this much time in the day. I'm not gonna say yes to everybody. And I used to say yes to everybody. And I used to be stressed quite a bit too. So yeah, I hope those examples are helpful. Those are excellent examples. And I imagine that working on yourself with that probably translates into your leadership style and the culture at Homie. Do you feel like these lessons are making their way through the organization? I believe it's now foundational to our company. So we have four values and I believe these mental fitness tools help us to live those values better. And you know, my focus now as a CEO, it always has been on culture, but I wanna create an environment of safety and trust. The more open I am with my own personal struggles, the safer it is for everybody else to share their struggles. And, and in my one-on-ones with my executives, I try to ask them, um, how was your weekend? What are your stresses at home? What's going on? Tell me, like, yes, there's a project that's due. Let's get to that in a little bit. You know, as, as we bring a sense of humanity into the workforce, um, you know, as, as I do that, as I try to lead by example, I'm hoping that they do that with others. I can't control that, but I, I can be an example and continue to show how that is the foundation to a culture of safety and trust, like actually caring, asking questions, getting to know what's going on with each individual. And if they do have stresses at home, you can, help them remove some of those roadblocks. And if they can learn, if they can learn some of these tools that I'm talking about at work and take those home, take those tools home and teach their family how to be less stressed, more effective, communicate better, like whether homie uh, succeeds financially or not, we'll win because we'll have wins of people learning something and taking that away from their experience at homie. So I, I think it's, it's foundational to culture in business in general. And, and I'm hoping more people adopt mental fitness principles. Did somebody teach you these lessons? Were these ones that you had learned yourself through hard experience? Um, yeah, that parenting class that I went to, it was, it was put on by a, a, a lady named Jody Hildebrandt. She has a, a program called Connections. She's a therapist and she's taken all these principles and she's packaged them for a business as well. So. I've just been learning these over the last four years. So specifically that course, there, there's plenty of authors, plenty of other books I've read that uh, have been beneficial also, but primarily um, those teachings uh, just 
again, trying to be a better dad is where those began. And, and now I, I feel like I've made progress as a dad and progress as a husband. And again, didn't realize how much work I actually needed. I, I was on cruise control. I'm like, yeah, perfect marriage, perfect family. Everything's good. I don't need to work on anything. Um, but I've actually come to realize I, I had a ton of issues and it's required so much work, but it's, it's all worth it in my opinion. What's an aspect of the homie story or the Johnny Hanna story that has not been told before? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I think what's coming, I think the future, we haven't talked about home ownership as a service. And I, I think that is what's next. So all of these different tools are leading up to um, all of the home services you need. You know, I, I just got off a call with an amazing company about cybersecurity and they're doing cybersecurity for families because more people are working from home. There needs to be uh, more protection from home. So that's a tool that's going to be part of our marketplace. Um, when you move into a home, you need, you know, connections to plumbers. You don't just need to say, hey, any good plumbers in this area on Facebook? You know, we can have a marketplace at Homey because they've already trusted us, they've used us. We'll have a marketplace of, of proven providers um, helping them switch out air filters that rarely get switched out, you know, or, um, you know, the, the, the salt in the, the water uh, purification systems, landscaping, you know, cable, Wi-Fi, all, all the different pieces can be part of our marketplace. So um, I think that's the natural evolution of where we're going as a company. Uh, similar to that resident portal that we created at Entrada where residents would log in and they'd have more services that they could select from. Um, I think that's going to be, you know, part of the natural homeownership uh, platform of the future. I think people would just naturally log into their portal and have access to all the top rated professionals, whoever they needed at the time. If you can do that, you will have one of the most successful companies in the nation. As somebody who bought a house a little over a year ago, uh, I'm continually amazed how many little things have to be managed as a homeowner. The list never ends. It's more than I'll ever get through myself. So uh, let me know when I, I'm not selling my house anytime soon, but let me know when I can sign up as a non-home seller to use all of these services. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. I think that that marketplace will actually be a driver for other people to then eventually buy or sell with us that weren't clients previously. But yeah, I, I bought a home in Mapleton and I just, I called landscapers today. Um, I was on the phone with a, a repairman uh, just a couple days ago, you know, and it's just, yeah, there's, there's so much work to be done. Um, but having to hunt to find these individuals is one of the pains, you know, that, that we're trying to solve. So yeah, we're working on it. We'll get back to you. Good. Uh, Johnny, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. And hopefully we'll get to talk again soon. I, I have a feeling that we haven't exhausted the wisdom of Johnny Hanna. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you heard, subscribe and give us five stars on your preferred podcast app and send it to your friends. To stay updated on all things Utah tech and startups, visit our site at techbuzz.news. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you in the next episode.